your gift is not enveloped in the love of Christ, it ultimately will not develop to will not become anything. For it to be fruitful, it needs to be in Christ. You can be a good teacher and not be a believer, but you won't be a fruitful teacher unless you are a believer. People who come are coming for what well, well, how was worship this week? Oh, it wasn't as good as it was last week. Or how was the message this week? Oh, it was kind of flat this week. It's all about what I'm taking. It's almost like a pleasure cruise. I got the cruise mentality. Did they have good coffee this week? Or, oh, was that meal good? Or it's all looked at from a, a pleasure cruise vantage point. That's not the design of the church. The design of the church is a rescue vessel. Because of the love and what Christ has done on the cross. And the reason that we get fired up about it is because we, through the power of the Holy Spirit, want to see you guys get fired up about Jesus. Well, hello all. Good to see everybody again. And uh, it's a privilege again to speak to you tonight. And also do the follow-up uh, from the message that uh, we spoke about last week, which was in prayer. And uh, one of the things I was so glad to see that Mike uh, put into uh, just put into practice tonight was the fact that praying scripture. If there's anything that really transformed my prayer life and just really my relationship with God is just really praying scripture. Because as you read through scripture, you're going to always come up with, you know, someplace, someplace like, wow, that is awesome. What God said there. And when you read it, you read it and you know it's a promise. It's a promise from God. And one of the things that's tough when we're going through life just in general is that, uh, there's, there's things that go well in life. There's things that don't go well in life. There's periods of time. I always, you know, connotate it back to this. We have summers in our life, and they're awesome. Things are happening well. The weather's warm. Things are great. Next thing comes fall. The leaves are falling off. It's still cool. But then also, then after that comes the winter of my life. They're cold. They're dark. They're dreary. There's periods of time in our life when they're winters. Some winters are long, some winters are short. But this I know is that if you have a great prayer life, what God will do is he'll sustain you through the winters of your life so that you make it back out to the spring. And you can make it back out to the spring. So we're going to talk about joy tonight. And... uh, I can't tell you how important this uh, concept and or topic is. One of the things I want you guys to do is to make sure that you have your note sheet. So if you don't have a note sheet, please grab one from one of the chairs around you. It's really important when we're trying to digest something or trying to learn something that uh, we take it in through our auditory, which we're going to be hearing me speak. And I also want you to read through the scripture because God's going to speak directly to your heart. We can rely on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to impress these things upon us. So I'm going to make a pretty bold statement here as I'm going to start talking about joy. Joy and understanding the joy that the Bible is speaking about. People not understanding it and not knowing it actually shortens their life. When I played uh, high school football, the guy who played linebacker right next to me, his name was Doug Shelley. And this particular gentleman that I had known, he didn't understand, one of the things we spoke about last week was how to control your mental state. It's really how to control your mood. Some people never learn 
control their mood because we as a human being, if we try and just do it in and of our own selves, we're going to not be very good at controlling our moods. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. But this is something that's awesome, is God gives us the ability through Scripture and through the power and the presence of His presence and the Holy Spirit, He enables us to control our moods even in the worst winters of our life. So my friend Doug Shelley, I decided, hey, I'm going to go to college. I went to Temple University. My friend Doug Shelley, we played football. We trained all through high school together. Weightlifting, let's try and get as big and strong as we possibly can. We want to deck people on the football field. That was really our, our, our royal, our, our motives that we wanted to do. I went to Temple, graduated from Temple, got my first job. He graduated from Penn State University, got his first job. But unfortunately, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know this, but uh, Doug Shelley had a, a, a really hard time controlling his mental states. So he got into drinking, he got into drugs, he was just a mess. He ended up robbing a store in Quakertown because he couldn't control his mental state. He was then driving from, many people will know this, that Trump Tavern that's in Trumbarsville. He was driving out Tollgate Road and he missed a turn. And this was just after he graduated from Temple, or excuse me, Penn State University, he got his accounting degree, and he ran into a pile of rocks that were on the, on the boulders and on the road. He hit the rocks, he flew out of the car, and he was killed. So we're talking about something that's massively important. I can go over two or three or four more examples of people that I went to school with who didn't understand the concept of controlling their mental state. If you do it outside of God, good luck. One of the things that's tough to, uh, when you really look at some statistics that are going on in the United States of America, the suicide rate's high. And if you look at the flip side of it, they, they, they do a poll to determine how many people would actually consider themselves to be happy. And only 35% of the people who live in the United States consider themselves to be happy. That means that 65% of the people believe themselves not to be happy. So this is a really important concept. I want you guys to pay attention. Take a look at your sheets because it's critically important. It's something that can extend the number of years that you're going to be on the planet. It's going to extend the number of years that you can have faithful service back to your heavenly father, it's critical. So here we go. We're gonna talk about a couple things when we talk about joy. We're gonna be covering, uh, covering what is joy, where is it found, having joy in trials and tribulation or life's difficulties. So the first thing we wanna do when we're talking about joy is it's, many people get it confused. What's joy, what's happiness, and what's pleasure? They get all these things intermingled together, thinking that they're all synonymous, and they're not synonymous. So first, I'm going to give you a definition of joy. So it's actually hard to find a definition of joy, because generally speaking, the Bible speaks about joy in a one perspective, and then 
the world doesn't really understand what joy is. They kind of think that somehow, some way, that joy and happiness are synonymous, but they're not. But here's a great definition of joy. I actually found it online. It says, the emotion of great delight caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. That's joy. So joy won't come from circumstances or things. The biblical definition of joy will only come from God. So let's go talk about happiness. Now happiness is something that we experience when our circumstances are right. So if I have great circumstances going on in my life, hey, I got a great job, I have a great spouse, I have, everything's going well for me right now. Circumstances are good, I'm happy. My circumstances are good. Then what happens is something, the circumstances go awry. I lose my job. I lose my girlfriend or spouse. I lose some of these things. Now, my circumstances aren't as ideal in my mind, so I have a sense then I'm not happy. I'm not happy because I'm missing many of these types of things or many of these uh, types of needs that I have in my life. So happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is based on something else. How about this concept of pleasure? This is a big one that people really confuse. Pleasure. If I eat a Hershey bar or a bowl of ice cream, that can have an element of pleasure. So people then start to make the mistake that, well, because it's pleasurable and it gives me temporary pleasure, that means that I'm happy. Well, the reality matter is, if we think about it this way, if you eat a Hershey bar every day for the next five years, I guarantee you're going to have a problem. One thing that you can really see is the confusing of pleasure with happiness. And I'm not opposed to people having fun. I'm not opposed to people getting together and having social engagements. But I am opposed to people doing things like this. So you see, you know, you get on the uh, Eagles game. You see people tailgating. What are they doing? They're pigging out. They're eating any and every type of food that's, you know, I would probably never eat anyway, but they're eating lots of it. They're drinking lots of beer. And they're drinking and they're eating and they're drinking and they're eating. It's going on for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. And they, hey, we're happy. We're having a good time. They're not happy. They're just basically confusing pleasure with happiness. They have temporary pleasure on the day that they think is happiness, but it's not. That's not happiness. Because what you see, and I've seen it in my life, I'm a little bit older, you see people who destroy themselves physically because they confuse pleasure with happiness. Pleasure's not happiness. So let's now dig into joy. Now we've got the separation of them all. So where is joy found? Let's talk about it. So looking at your sheet, Let's read some scripture that helps us to define where joy comes from. First is Psalm 1611. It puts it this way. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand and pleasures forevermore. This is just talking about our relationship with our heavenly father. 
And one thing that's important for everybody in this room to understand is that when we first come to Christ, many times what happens is we're very thrilled about coming to Christ, having our sins forgiven, just really having that whole appreciation of understanding that he's forgiven all my sins, past, present, and future, it gives us a sense of joy. Then sometimes when people go in their Christian life a little bit longer, they lose that initial sense of joy, and they kind of feel like, well, well, where's God? Where was that feeling that I had had? And the only way that we can sustain the joy of being in the Lord is to read his word and to spend time with him and develop our relationship. And what that really comes back down to is the more time we spend reading his word, praying, just time with him, what happens is, is that we build a relationship. It's almost like working out. The first time, maybe like when you're 10 years old, you try to do a push-up, you maybe you did three, I don't know, five, 10, 20. But if you keep doing them, the next thing you know, hey, I can get up to 100 push-ups. It's a miracle. What's a miracle? Well, the miracle is, is that the more you exercise anything that we do in our lives, the better you get at it. And that also applies to your spiritual development and your prayer life as well. Are your spiritual muscles flabby? I'm not doing my prayer push-ups on a daily basis. I'm not spending time with the Lord on a daily basis. If you're not spending time with him, what happens is, is you get flabby spiritual muscles, which means, hey, I, I, I'm just not in that, that connection to where I would want to be or would like to be with my Heavenly Father. So let's read a little bit more scripture. Let's build up our spiritual muscles together. Next one is John 15, 11. It says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So God, again, is speaking about joy. You can have joy with him, joy in his presence, joy just being and standing on his promises. He gives us the capacity to have joy. How about the next one on your sheets? Uh, Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me admit something to you guys. Along the way, life can get challenging. And in recent years, I had some challenging things unfold in my life. And one of the things I, for whatever reason, I can go to bed at night and I can be in a great mood. I can be in a great mood all day long. But when I wake up in the morning, I don't even know why it happens, but I'm extremely discouraged. So the only way that I can remove this discouragement is to spend a half an hour to 45 minutes in prayer time with my Heavenly Father. And the amazing thing that happens every single day is when I read scripture and I spend time with him and I pray and I read through his promises by the time I'm done, I'm in an absolutely encouraged mood. And I have to go through this process every day. So my encouragement to you is I'm not saying these things because I heard somebody else say them. I'm not saying these things to you because I think they're a good idea. I'm saying to these things to you because they're proven. It's proven 
that if you spend time with your heavenly father, he can change your mental state from being in a state of anxiety or fear or discouragement. He can take all those feelings and he can change them. And the reason why is because what we do is we spend time with him and we spend time in his promises and we spend time understanding and knowing who he is. It's like, how can I be discouraged knowing what God has promised and knowing about salvation and spending time in gratitude, just thanking him for all the things I have, you immediately go from a mindset of where you don't want to be in a mental state to in a place where you would love to be in his presence and in his joy. And we're just reading through how he promises to give us joy. Here we go. Let's keep going. It says in 1 Peter 1.8, though you have seen him, you love him. Excuse me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with him with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, just talking about the joy of the Lord, spending time with him. John 16, 24. Until now you have not asked me for, excuse me, let me go again. Until now you have not asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So Pastor Mike, I just spoke about a little bit ago. How many people have had something that was like an answered prayer? And one of the things I would recommend to you guys is this is keep a journal of answered prayer. Because God answers prayer. But one also thing he he expects us to do is to wait. Sometimes he asks us to wait because waiting for things actually causes us to grow. And if you look at biblical examples, for instance, when we see the story of Joseph in Genesis, Joseph was sold at 17 years old into Egypt as a slave. His brother sold him away. Well, what a horrible thing. Can you imagine being 17 years old and somebody sends you away and sells you into another country as a slave. That happened to Joseph. So he ran into trouble in Potiphar's home. The wife had basically accused him of something that he didn't do. He was put into prison. But what we see in Joseph's life was the initial trial being a slave in Potiphar's home, the second trial actually being in the prison and running the prison, till finally Pharaoh had called him out, brought him in front of Pharaoh, who was able to interpret the dream. Now, all of a sudden, Joseph is now the governor of all of Egypt. He's second in command, only the Pharaoh is higher. But the point is simply this. The reason why I'm going over this. God did that for a specific reason because he knew he he needed to prepare Joseph specifically for the job that he had. So sometimes God will ask us to wait in our prayer life because he needs you to grow. He needs you to develop. He needs you to become something more than you are right now. Let me bring this back to here. My son's a little older, he's 24 years old, my oldest son, and uh, one of the things he became impatient about was just meeting another Christian girl. He wanted to meet another Christian girl that he could have a relationship with and so forth. And one of the things I'd tell my son is this, 
God will bring the right person into your life when you are ready. And because you are fretting about it, even as we speak, I know that you're not ready. He brings the right circumstances into your life when you're ready because he's sovereign. So sometimes he doesn't answer our prayers right away because we're not ready. But having said this, it says asking in Jesus' name. What we ought to be asking in Jesus' name is the same kind of a prayer that Jesus would pray. So if you're asking for things in your life that are things that Jesus would never pray, well, guess what? That's going to make it harder for God to ever, you know, or for him to grant that type. So you could have somebody who's very immature in their Christian faith, and you know what they're going to do? They're going to pray for, uh, you know, they're 16 years old. I'm going to pray for a Lamborghini. And I'm asking God, you know, every day, can you please give me that Lamborghini? And maybe that's an extreme example of something. But if you pray from an immature mindset and you're praying for something that ultimately could cause a disruption in your relationship with God, he probably is not going to grant it because you're far more important to him than giving you something that's going to interrupt your relationship. So let me just, just, just back it out to here. If you ask your parents for certain things, do they give you everything you ask for? They don't. Because there's certain things that your parents could give you that you ask for that actually could be a detriment to your development as a person. You ever hear about the scenarios where somebody grows up in a super rich family and parents give the, the kids everything? Whatever you want, you can have it. And in many times in those kind of families, the kids don't end up turning out very well because they're spoiled and they don't really understand, you know, many of the concepts they ought to understand. So our Heavenly Father is in the same way. We want to pray for things that Jesus would pray for. Let's keep moving on and just deal with the concept of joy here. Joy is found in following God and serving others. That's where it comes from. So one of the concepts I had mentioned a little while ago to you guys was joy. Many times we can look at it as an acronym. The word joy, Jesus, the word others. Okay, so joy is, use the letters, J, Jesus, O, others. Why yourself. If you can live your life where you're focused primarily on Jesus and your relationship with your heavenly father and pleasing him, focusing on others and then focusing on yourself last, the outgrowth of that kind of a mindset leads to joy. So we have to think of, just think of it this way. In the world, one of the challenges that we have is this. Are people other-centered? Are people self-centered? In the world that you see right now, what are people really primarily like? They're primarily self-centered, meaning that they'll do things that will benefit themselves, many times at the hindrance of other people. The Bible teaches us that what we want to do is we want to be others-centered. Because when we serve others, Ultimately, the outgrowth of that is a higher level of reward. So I can go, hey, you know what I'm going to do today? 
you know, maybe I'll be, hey, this Sunday, I'm not going to church. I'm going down to watch the Eagles game, and I'm going to drink lots of beer, eat lots of sausage, eat lots of, uh, who knows, nachos, and I'm going to pick out for a whole day long. You know, the average person is going to say, you know what? That's an awesome, happy day. The flip side of that would be, is you know what? No, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to focus on my Heavenly Father. You know, I'm also going to volunteer at church. And that outgrowth of that life actually ends up bringing joy. So as I'm giving a message tonight to you guys and I'm speaking all these things to you, do you know who gets the most out of this message? Me. And I'm not doing it for that reason. But I'll get absolute euphoria joy just because of the Holy Spirit will give it to me. So I'm telling you guys, and, I, and I, honestly, Jesus, others, yourself. If we can implement that, it goes a long way. Let's read a couple of scriptures regarding that. This is John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, as must follow me. And where I am, there will be... My servant, excuse me, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So the Father will honor him when we serve the Lord. So we serve the Lord, what does God do? He honors that person for serving. Next, Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I recommend this, that Colossians 3, 23, to be the, just be something that you have in front of you everywhere. Write it in the front of your textbook. Put it on your uh, wallpaper page of your phone. What is it again? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not men. If you work in a job, I'm not working for the boss. I'm working for the Lord. If I'm going to school, I'm not going to school for myself. I'm going to school for the Lord. Anything and everything I'm doing, I'm working for the Lord. I'm not working for me. I'm not working for the person who owns the company. I'm working for the Lord. So what that does is we have the ability to do great things if we have a big enough reason as to why. So for instance, if I said, look, I really think that a few of you guys should be starting an exercise program. And, uh, you know, I think the exercise program should look like this. Three days a week, I want you in the gym training with weights. Seven days a week, I want you doing cardio. I want you to do that, starting next week. Well, who in here is going to do that? Not many, because they don't have a big enough reason as to why. But all of a sudden, if we were to take you into, let's just say, uh, University of Pennsylvania Hospital down in Philadelphia, they ran your EKG, they did a stress test on you, they did a number of tests on you, you know what they found out? Look, you have the heart of a 70-year-old person. If you don't start doing some kind of exercise, in five years, you're going to be dead. Now all of a sudden you have a massive why as to why you're going to start exercising because the reasons are huge. I'm going to start working out because I don't want that outcome in my life. 
Well, that's what I'm saying when it comes down to your spiritual life. What's your why? Tie your why back to your heavenly father. That's the why. Why am I motivated to get good grades in school? Because it's not for me, it's for my heavenly father. Why am I motivated to do well at work? Because it's not for me, it's for my heavenly father. Why do I want to do good at my job? Hey, I need to fund my ministry. That's my why. And if you have big reasons as to why, what you'll find is you have the motivation and the discipline to do many, many things in your life that you never ever thought you could do because you have a strong why. I was talking to these guys earlier. I had a why. I wanted to you know, win a, a bodybuilding contest. My why now is like, look, I want to be as healthy and strong as, I, uh, as long as I possibly can so I can share the gospel with as many people as I can. I want to be sharing the gospel like Caleb or being strong. He was 85 and he went into the promised land with the sword and fought off the giants at 85. He said, at 85, my strength today is the same as it was when I was 40. That's my motives. I want to share the gospel with as many people as I possibly can for as long as I can. And I ask you guys to tie your reasons back to your why. Last one here. It says, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I put that in here for this specific reason. Do you know that God is joyful? And do you know that there's a celebration in heaven every single time somebody commits their life to Christ? They have a massive celebration in heaven. Wow. We see Pastor Mike and Quincy getting excited when somebody's going get, to get baptized. Well, there's joy in seeing somebody else come to Christ. So you want to have joy in your life. Number one, strengthen your relationship with your heavenly father. Number two... Be mission-minded, meaning that who can I share the gospel with? Who can I give a gospel track to? How can I give to speed the light? How, how am I tying all this stuff that I'm doing, how am I tying it back to my, my, my mission of my life? When you do that, and you know that people are coming to Christ because of the things, God's blessing the things that you're doing, and people are coming to Christ... It brings joy. It not only brings joy to you personally, but it brings joy in heaven. They're celebrating because of what's being done. It's awesome. We talked about this already, but I'm going to recap it here. It says, is joy found in stuff and circumstances? The answer is, it's not. We can have temporary happiness from stuff and circumstances, if all of a sudden, you know, somebody were to give you, you know, the coolest car, I don't know, the coolest phone, I don't know whatever you guys think are cool, but whatever you guys think is cool, the coolest Xbox, yeah, it'd be cool, and, you know, you guys would be happy about it, but it's not a lasting happiness, and it's not to the level of, of joy. So, stuff and circumstances doesn't give us joy, it gives us temporary happiness, which is really based on circumstances, but... Having said all that, let me just read this verse to you. It's Romans 14, 17. So for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So one of the things we had started talking about is like so many people confuse that pleasure really is the happiness. Hey, if I can go out every weekend and drink and uh, you know, eat a lot of food, I'll eat like pizzas, I'll eat lots of cheesesteaks, you know, I'm gonna eat lots of Easter or excuse me, Halloween candy, and I'm just gonna pick out. I'm gonna have the greatest weekend in the world. Well, 
What the Bible's telling us is, hey, it's not a matter of that. It's not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So tying all this back together again with joy, it comes to this. Pursuing the superficial. What's superficial? Something that's superficial. That means it's something that really doesn't have meaning. It really doesn't have you know, anything of, of, of real importance. I'm pursuing the superficial. And the weird thing about it in our lives is many times we're pursuing many things that are superficial. But we can pursue things that have eternal meaning. Which simply means this. If you lead somebody to Christ, it's never forgotten. That will be remembered for eternity. And also that person will have eternity in heaven forever. So many times we base so much of what we do in our lives based on the superficial, not the eternal. And we have to do some things that are superficial because we live in the world. So we have to do things that are in the world. Hey, man, I, I, I got to get up and I got to vacuum my, 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 my room and I got to dust it. And, you know, and my mom asked me to clean the bathroom. And, hey, that's a little bit superficial. But the reality of the matter is we got to do it. Right. But where's our eternal mindset? Are we eternally minded? Do we have that mindset in our mind? Are we thinking about it on a day to day basis? And, you know, are we into that strong relationship with our Heavenly Father, which ultimately brings us back to the concept of joy? How about this last concept as we're starting to draw to a close? And I don't even know where I am at time-wise. How about trusting in God and standing on His promises, His sovereignty and His faithfulness and His goodness when things go bad? We're all, you know, it's like there, there can be bad things that happen in anybody's life, but, you know, ultimately there's some things that, you know, can floor you. And are we able, you know, hey, we get a little bit of a challenge. Hey, I'm, I'm standing in there. What happens if we get a super significant challenge? And I heard a message by another pastor who simply said this. If I could take something out of your life, and you say that you would no longer be happy or you no longer would want to live. Many times that, that thing that you say that you would no longer want to live because if that was removed, that's your idol. Idolatry is having something in your life that you believe is so important that I couldn't live without it. And that's, that's, that's tough. I mean, when I heard him say that, I was like, man, that's brutal. You know, and obviously we have our family, you know, there's certain things with that. But ultimately, you know, if God were to take our house or to take our money or take different types of things, ultimately if he takes these things out of our life, our focus should be back on our Heavenly Father, which is very, very difficult. But let me just give you an example of that kind of thing. So I'm going to read you a story here. And before I read the story, I'm just going to read you this verse. It's uh, James... One, two, and three, and it's on your sheet that some of you guys have folded up and made into airplanes. <laughs> Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your face produces steadfastness. So here's the story. You ready? How many people like stories? 
I like stories. How many of you like movies? They're cool. As long as they're good movies. I don't like garbage movies where you put garbage in your brain. But here's a good story. Here we go. All right. If there ever was anyone who had bad luck, it was this guy. At first, it seemed to have all, it all. As if he had every reason to be happy. He was a successful lawyer who made some of smart real estate investments in an up-and-coming city. You may have heard it. It was called Chicago. He also had a nice house, a family, kids, everything most people wish they could have. But one tragic event followed another to strip Horatio of these things. It started out when his only son got sick and died. No amount of money could cure him. On the heels of that tragedy, his real estate investments really went up in flames as the great Chicago fire consumed his livelihood. Horatio decided at this point that he would take his four daughters and his wife, Anna, to Europe for a while to recover. He also saw this as an opportunity to join some evangelists as they toured Europe. His faith and his joy were impressive after such, so much tragedy. So Horatio sent his family ahead of him in order to tie up some loose minute, excuse me, last minute business in Chicago. He didn't know that when he said goodbye to his daughters, it would be for the last time. Their ship had a collision and all four of his daughters died. So he set sail to be with his grieving wife in Europe. As his ship approached the place where his daughters died, he wrote the words to a famous hymn that churches around the world are still singing. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. So this particular gentleman wrote one of the most popular hymns that ultimately, you know, gives us the ability to have a sense when we sing it, just, 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 just an awesomeness in our soul. He wrote that after losing all those things. And, and we never know how we're going to respond, you know, to these kind of tragedies in our life. But the only thing I can appeal to each person in this room is that we need to have that relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need to be great prayers. We need to be praying scriptures. We need to be keep, you know, creating a list of, 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 of excuse me, scriptures that we can pray that reviews the promises to him. Knowing full well that our Heavenly Father is a loving Father He's sovereign, meaning there are no circumstances that unfold that have not crossed his desk. That he is faithful. He's a faithful father. So when we review all these things in our mind and we, we, we sit in them on a day-to-day -day basis, what happens is it brings peace to us. It brings joy to us. And we can weather the storms of life. And ultimately, we can live productive lives that we're productive Christians that can help other people come to the realization of their shortcomings and sin, that they must place their trust in Jesus to have eternal life as well. So I'm going to give you a verse or two here, and then we're going to bring ourselves to a close with one other thought. So here we go. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. 
That's what the Bible and God is asking us to do in Romans 12, 12. Psalm 511, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. There's so many promises and so many scriptures that tie us back to that we're resting in God. We're resting in him as a refuge, as a fortress. It's awesome stuff. And the last thing I just wanted to cover with you guys is simply this. It's in Acts 16. We see Apostle Paul and Silas, they were preaching the gospel. For doing so, they were beaten. They were whipped. When they were whipped, they were thrown into jail. So, I don't know about you guys, there's sometimes that uh, when you go out and share the gospel, there's sometimes you get some circumstances that you prefer not to be in. It's because some people can get upset. It's rare, but it happens occasionally. I had one particular time, a guy, uh, I shared the gospel with his daughter. She came to the realization that if she didn't receive Christ as Savior, that she would end up in hell. So she went and told her dad about it. Her dad came over to me, and he wanted to fight me. So, I just uh, ignored him and just kept doing what I was doing. And I uh, watched him out of the corner of my eye. But I got to tell you something, that uh, when you went home, it's like, holy smoly, I go out here to share the gospel, I'm trying to be obedient to God, I go out there and I got this guy breathing down my neck, it definitely wasn't the most positive experience I've ever experienced. Well, look at Paul, Paul got beaten, then he got thrown into jail, and that night when they were there, in jail, probably cold, sitting on concrete, they're singing hymns. It just goes back to the concept that when we know who our Heavenly Father is and we rest in Him, it can bring us joy in the worst types of circumstances. And that's the type of thing that we need to let's move away from the stuff that changes our state. I don't need alcohol. I don't need drugs. I don't need to eat a banana split. Only thing I need to do is spend time with my Heavenly Father. He's the one who can change my mental state to the positive and into a great state. So, that's it. Let's pray, guys. Let's just finish up with some prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time to get together and talk about these things. We just uh, pray that uh, you sink uh, these things deep into our hearts and that uh, you... Enable us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to rely 100% totally on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.